0: For a tale of love, loss, cars, somehow entire families made of strippers, balls, and the cops who hold them. And welcome to this zero credit supplemental reading of Cole McKay's 2011 film, 200 Miles Per Hour. My name is John. And I'm Henry. And, of course, a zero-credit supplemental reading, if you haven't listened to one of these before, is where we talk about an important piece, uh, a cultural artifact, if you will, that we find culturally important. In this case, it's a mockbuster of Fast Five called 200 Miles Per Hour. That's right. A mockbuster and all... Wait, no. and only... a name only... <laughs> So this is a, the the thing about Mockbusters. I actually have done a little bit of research in that a lot of these movies are just like on YouTube. I don't know if they're supposed to be, um, but they're not getting taken down with any speed. They are largely in name only uh, reference. That, so essentially a Mockbuster is supposed to get your grandma or whatever to like rent or buy this movie instead of whatever the big movie is so it looks similar the plots are almost always completely different that's the part that I don't I don't understand but uh wait did we already say so look this movie this entire movie is on YouTube right now you can search for 200 miles per hour right now so there's no excuse this time go watch that before you listen to the rest of this because uh, we're we're assuming you already have seen it Yes, every supplemental reading assumes that you have consumed the content beforehand. There will be full spoilers. So either you don't care about spoilers or your time is too precious uh, to waste on the 90 minutes of this movie. But if you are one of the lucky few who has seen it, boy, are you in for a treat. You won't be confused as we talk about this movie that has uh, so many plot points. Uh, it's so hard to keep up. It's a real memento. Oh yeah, so many different scenes, and yet only like three locations. Yes, uh, only <laughs> only three locations. Now, as we said, being a mockbuster, as I've found out, uh, produced by The Asylum, written by Thunder Levin, I think, uh, this film is supposed to confuse you into thinking that it's a Fast and Furious mm-hmm. movie, specifically Fast Five. Uh, however, its plot, very dissimilar. This movie is a lot closer to something like a weird reinterpretation of The Fast and The Furious from ten years prior. Right. So the stakes are pretty low level. We're talking street racing. We're talking no, you know, dictators or, or crime bosses or, or safes being towed by tanks or anything like that. We're just talking your your run-of-the-mill LA street race. Absolutely. your run of the bill L.A. street race. There's no The Rock, though there are weird porny cops. Uh, There's there's no um, I guess there's maybe there's I guess there's maybe a a Michelle Rodriguez. Let's assume that people have maybe watched this YouTube video of this entire movie. Right. uh, Within the last week. Let's just catch everybody up, because like I said, this movie goes pretty fast. We got Tommy, our protagonist, I think. No, not Tommy. Rick. Oh is our protagonist? Gosh. Yes, Rick Merchant, played by Jazz Martin. I'm Jazz guessing, Martin, of course. Guessing the names. Uh, then you got Kelly Garcia, the mechanic, who yes. is yes the she's she's really good at her job, and she's the only <laughs> she's the yes. only character in the movie with skills. Yes, yeah, she her her skills with a vehicle are so amazing that she can open the hood of a vehicle, tell that it's of a vehicle that is off <laughs> tell that it's timing is off reach in with her bare hand somewhere around the engine and then just say that she's fixed the timing yes um i'm just a phenomenal i i think uh what, the, what a virtuoso of a car mechanics oh and what an artist what what a yeah. skill with the with the pen and the brush kind of a savant if you will of 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 tuning and modding cars like she is the star of the show for sure yeah it's it's you know there can only be so many strippers in a town right and there are a lot of them so there Uh, aren't a lot of jobs to go around so she had to pick magic mechanic right magic mechanic or stripper uh strippers such as claudia uh who works at the same strip club as debbie merchant and for those of you with uh fine-tuned ears you will notice that uh, Debbie Merchant has the same last name as Rick Merchant because that's his mom. Yes, his mom is a stripper. Hold on, wait. Exotic. You got to do it with me. Exotic Exotic Dancer. dancer. That's right. Uh, There are multiple strippers. A lot of this movie happens in a uh, bar slash strip club called Candy Cat 1, I believe. Yes, Candy Cat 1, which is a bar pool hall and strip lounge, but they can't be fully nude because they serve alcohol. Yes, that, that that honestly, when that plot point gets brought up, it felt like the one of the people writing the movie, actually the one person writing the movie, in this case Thunder Levin, had a real axe to grind about yes. California, like performative nudity clause. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, sometimes when you're watching a film, you'll notice that the film has like a a message it wants to convey, and clearly the message of two hundred miles per hour was alcohol be damned. Let the let the exotic dancers be bare. Yes, exactly. Thunder Levin wants people to be nude regardless of alcohol being served. Uh, this is also the kind of establishment where you can clearly get a lap dance at the bar, which uh, I've never. <laughs> Yeah. Into such an establishment i feel like we're getting really caught up on we're the strip still venue yeah we're still in the characters i just want to highlight uh so claudia is rick merchant's girlfriend uh, claudia is a stripper these are just facts uh and <laughs> rick's mom and girlfriend strip at the same club Yes, not weird, normal. Meaning if, if Rick is going to go visit his girlfriend, he has like a non-zero chance of seeing his mom up on the pole. Yes. Which for me, I, I don't know about you, John, but for me, any any non-zero chance I have of seeing a, a relative in any state of address, undress, uh, that that's something I avoid. That's not something I flock to Multiple times in the same movie. I mean, for what it's worth though, uh I, I guess he's been somewhat inured to it because he just bumps into his mom while she's fully topless for one scene in the movie. And he's embarrassed. He's like, Mom. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 very interesting the dynamic we have going on here. I feel like they could have written in maybe any other family dynamic right. and maybe not raised as many questions. Yeah, no. It's like there's. It's very purposeful putting them at the same strip club and making them exotic dancers and whatnot. Like it's almost as if Thunder Levin wanted Rick to pump into his topless mom. Uh, I I will say I did. I know. Like I said, we're getting way too caught up on the Candy Cat one. It is a real business and it, it does have Yelp reviews. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, one of them says. <laughs> outrageingly depress it outrageously depressing music which in my opinion <laughs> kills the vibe oh no <laughs> so they're just playing like the cure oh it's 9 just, inch nails it's just creed on a loop oh no that's outrageously depressing anyway uh, right there's, so uh, there's a there's an exotic dancer right. thing going on within this family and of course at the candy cat one we run into Lou who is the uh the, the owner, and also always present on the grounds. <laughs> yes, also, I, I believe, I don't know if this actor has been anything else, his performance screams to me as uh, Candy Cat 1 patron who was ambushed and forced to be in a movie <laughs> uh, where they maybe fa- paid him $500. Maybe. His uh, name is re- Sam Aaron, for the record. Really got to appreciate Lou in this movie. Uh, Lou's whole thing is no drama on the floor, no matter what you're going through. Even if you getting ahead of myself, even if you lost your son earlier that week, there's no drama on the floor at the (laughs) candy cat one. We, we got a, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple more like principal cast members and we won't run down the whole cast. There's apparently a character whose name was either case or Casey, who I completely missed. Uh, that's the drug dealer villain. His name was... It's the, it's the main villain of the film. His name is Casey. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> you watched the entire movie and you missed the name of, of the antagonist. I thought his name was like Chase or something. Nah, Casey. Casey. Oh! I was in my head... It was C-A-S-E-Y. C-A-S-E-Y. Oh! And I was like, well, that's an interesting name for a drug dealer. But now that I see it spelled out, I, I guess, I'm, I don't know. Okay, moving on. Yes, he's the villain uh, yes. of the piece who does multiple heinous things we'll dive into later. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you've got some really great supporting cast and um, the the mechanic crew whose up names are Fong. You're Fong and... Albert Albert apparently was the Fingerless Gloves name? Yeah, Fingerless Gloves name is Albert. I feel like to be honest with you, those two characters are like a lot of side characters condensed into two people cuz they only wanted to pay two people. Right, right. That's like the whole entourage of the uh, the the ski movie but in two people. Yeah, that's uh the I mean honestly, if they're trying to make it like Fast 5, they wanted an entourage, but come on. This movie yeah. cost $200,000 and was made in less than a year. you gotta, you got to gotta yeah. condense. Yeah, so that's your Tej and your Roman and your every other person you can think of who's in the Fasta Familia and those two characters. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, uh, you've got the uh, venerable Paul Logan as Officer Flynn. Yes, Paul Logan, who has been in movies called like Erotic Encounters and also The Amityville Harvest. Um, this guy really pulled his weight little, in this movie. I think a little fun trivia for everyone: Paul Logan is the only person on Wikipedia who apparently has his own page. Wait, what do you? How do you mean? Everyone else in the cast. Oh, not, I see. I see. Does not have a hyperlinked name. Paul Logan, however, does. Um, meaning, I wonder who edits that. I wonder who made that. I don't. Weird. know. Weird. But he, I, I actually just got Logan Paul. Hold on, uh, second yikes. result. Paul Logan. There we go. So he's been in, he's been in a, looks like straight to to home movies uh, since nineteen ninety six. I will say his career is very storied. So it it was kind of a subtle dig at him that he edits his own Wikipedia. But with a career that's existed for that long, it would not surprise me if someone else made this. Like, uh, I have no. Maybe it was agent <laughs> trying to make it, buzz. If you have a body of work that stretches back this long, you have to assume. You you have to assume that you have. Oh, he was in angel. The wow Buffy the Vampire spinoff. He was in a single episode of Friends. Oh, he's been in Days of Our Lives. So he's uh, like he's, he's a known a, quantity. He's a known quantity, and the only known quantity in this film. Yes the the only known quantity. In this movie, the cast, of course, uh, stellar. This is my outside of your um, asylum movies that really penetrate the mainstream. You know, your Sharknadoes, which I think is is Birdemic the asylum. No, Birdemic Birdemic was like self-produced. Yes. By by, it was the product of a lone visionary. Yes. uh, Lone visionary indeed. Uh, But this is my first asylum film that I've watched. To completion, uh, believe me, it's it's really something. Uh, but I... We're not done with the cast. <laughs> Do we have to read all of them? Well, we we at least need to introduce Rick's brother, Tommy. Yes, of course. <laughs> Please introduce Rick's brother, Tommy. Well, he's a man who needs no introduction, because he's only alive for about ten minutes of the film. <laughs> uh, yes, what's the actor's name? Oh, I literally just clicked away. His name is Tom... Tom I'm oh god my my (laughs) the singularity just happened uh Tom Merchant is played by Tommy Nash okay okay Tommy Nash cool name not as cool as Jazz Martina Martin Jazz Martin Jazz Martin Uh, not as cool as Jazz Martin uh definitely a cool name though uh I don't know how to segue from the cast to the actual content of this movie uh, neither does the movie. <laughs> yes, that is that is definitely true. I, I think one of the things, so the reason why this movie was brought to my attention is, um, in this like compilation of like bad car lines that I was watching on YouTube, they included the introductory scene to this movie where Rick's brother Tommy drives up in a car and they then list, a series of, um, let's say, increasingly uh, dubious production car stats for what is clearly a Nissan 370Z with one sticker on it. Yes. They say it has a top speed of like 190-something miles per hour. Most gallingly, they say that that it is an $80,000 production car stock. Uh, a Nissan 370Z, of course, was worth about $30,000 in 2011. Uh, this movie plays fast and loose with cars in a lot of different ways. I, I have an Amazon review that is named, Things I Learned from 200 Miles Per Hour. And uh, the first two facts are that a Nissan 350Z cost eighty k. And the second thing is that car is capable of a three point five second zero to sixty time stock. Now these are listed as though I don't think <laughs> I, don't, I think maybe they're not accurate then. Yes, uh, they are they're very much not accurate. Also, I, I will argue with that reviewer a little bit. It's a three seventy Z. The three fifty Z looks very looks very okay, similar. Okay. Three, but listen, not everyone not everyone knows what a three seventy Z looks like. Uh, on site and I don't I had to look it up Uh, but I think that's kind of (laughs) the least egregious of this movie's car sins Uh, you have the insane production line stats that Casey gives for his Nissan GTR which I think he calls a Skyline GTR which it isn't it's just a GTR he gives these insane stats of it having a top speed of almost 200 miles per hour etc etc it's the name of the movie Yes, it is something that this movie comes back to a lot, uh, fascinatingly. But the biggest car sin, I think, is the, the hero car of this film. And that is, of course, Rick's Mazda RX-7, uh, which he uh, drives from the beginning of the movie and then soups up post his brother's death. Uh, this car has a lot of stuff going on with it. That's, that's pretty nerdy and I'll only go into if you want me to. Oh, please absolutely go into it. I I also have some fun facts about the, uh, the Mazda RX-7. I'll, I'll leave the fun facts to you. I think both you and I know what the fun facts are. Yeah. Very Uh, fun. Very fun facts. But the most egregious one to me is that this movie was clearly written with a Mazda Miata in mind, because they keep calling it an MX-5, which is the Miata trim, uh, which is a Miata at the whatever. It's a Miata, and it is not an RX-7. An RX-7 and a Miata are totally different vehicles. So this movie was written for a Miata. I feel like they found the RX-7, which was a cooler car, or, or they just found someone who was willing to lend them an RX-7. Right. So they call this a Miata, essentially. Through the entire movie. Even the um, Yeah, it's interesting. And maybe more importantly and more glaringly, is that anytime the hero car is racing or drifting around the same nondescript office space slash <laughs> factory mattress store <laughs> uh, on the on the same little corner in, like, whatever part of California they filmed this in, it is actually no longer a Mazda RX-7. It changes to what looks like a Nissan 240 or something. This is where my fun fact comes in. Yes, please. Because during production, the Mazda RX-7 used as Rick's merchant's car was stolen. Mmm. That RX-7 belonged to award-winning professional drifter Justin Pwollack. I uh, think it's just Pollock, like Pollock. The fish. Okay. Uh, the vehicle was inside a 26-foot enclosed Aztec trailer attached to P- Pollock's Chevrolet. What? Chevrolet two fifth numbers, 25,000 HD. Uh, but that whole rig was stolen in the middle of production. Uh, both vehicles have not been seen since. So, throughout the film, even though Rick is building that RX-7, RX, that Mazda, RX-7, when he exits the building, it's a Nissan Silvia S14. Oh, okay. So it's a Silvia S14. Gotcha. And that may be due to the fact that the hero car was stolen during production. I mean, I I think it's almost... (laughs) I think that there are maybe due to is pulling a lot of weight. Yes, in that, the may. I think it's almost certainly due to the fact it's that one of the those, hero car was stolen. I, so I think it's it's written as maybe because uh, no one from the production side has ever come out and said with any certainty that that's why it was, but we can we can venture a guess. Yeah, you, you can definitely assume. Now I'll say that this is one situation, and there may be others as we discuss the film. I don't know how you feel about it. This is the one instance in which this movie actually pulls one over considerably on Fast Five. Now how so? Because in Fast Five they're planning a heist in the latter half of the movie where they steal a safe and they drive it around a city and it's very thrilling. However... While the movie was being filmed, no one actually stole a safe. That's correct. However, in this movie, the heist that happens is that they are stealing a car on a trailer at the end of the movie, and in 200 miles per hour, a car on a trailer actually got stolen. Oh, wow. Yeah, I see the similarities. It's, you know, art imitates life. Art imitates life. I'm I'm just saying this movie had a more direct and immediate impact on the real world than Fast Five did. I, I guess you're right. <laughs> I, I hope whoever stole it enjoys that RX-7. I like RX-7s oh, that thing a lot. Got, that thing got sold for parts. You know it did. I, I have a couple more car sins if you'll indulge me. Sure, why not? Uh, there are some I'll skip over. Uh, (laughs) there's there's so many. There's one I got them. There are a lot. Uh, The one real quick that's really funny is that um, Kelly, the mechanic who's magical, tends to say things about cars that are either inaccurate or painfully obvious. So, for instance, in a lot of cases with vehicles where you've had to like put on a carbon fiber hood that doesn't have a traditional latch or you've had to do like a latch delete, you actually keep it down with with these two straps on the side or these two key things on the side. Correct. Uh, so they're closing the hood on the RX-7, I believe, after they've done some work on it. And, and Kelly looks to Rick, someone who ostensibly has been racing cars for years, surrounded by people who, like, this is their one hobby, discernibly, uh, and says, these keep it from coming up. <laughs> while you're driving yeah very Uh, good kelly you're right very good kelly for a magical mechanic you're certainly very good stating the obvious now the greatest car sin is actually one that has a a bit of a long tail and that is the treatment of nos in this movie Uh, and there there are a few different things going on with nos Uh, Of course, NOS, Nitrous Oxide, storied in the Fast and Furious franchise. NOS is a big fucking deal. Uh, It is, the Fast and Furious franchise made NOS, like, a thing. Everyone remembers that scene in Too Fast, Too Furious, where it, like, does the bad CGI and, like, tracks the NOS through the lines, into the engine, into the whatever. That's That's cool, right? It's the only memorable thing from Too Fast, Too Furious. And then he launches over that bridge, and then there's bad CGI. Too fast, too furious. Lands on a boat. Lands on a boat. It's great. However, the treatment of NOS in this film has a few issues. First of all, and this is something that happens kind of throughout the movie, their primary concern with installing NOS on the RX-7, and also in general any car going fast, is that the car will... uh, there's no easy way to put this, fly. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll take off like a rocket. You'll you'll take off like a rocket. There is a point where they're, like, test driving this car, and it hits, like, 160 miles per hour. And he says, oh, it didn't take off. Like, like that's a concern. Uh, that is something that happens consistently through this movie, and it is exemplified when they're installing NOS, and they keep going back to the one biggest fear of installing a nitrous oxide injection system into a vehicle is that it will cause it to fly like an airplane they're gonna Um, take off It's, it's gonna go flying not that their concerns are oh if you put a nitrous oxide system in this and it's not well tuned you'll run your fuel too lean and damage your engine or you'll generate too much heat through the turbo and crack a piston right. or throw a rod. No actual like car thing. I feel like an engine exploding is pretty climactic. But they decided that it wasn't climactic enough and the stake should be the car flies. Yeah well so here here's the thing. The, this this <laughs> this Miata that they're fine-tuning it is so small and light that it, it just nothing is gonna keep it on the ground. However, the mechanic, Kelly, finds a, a devious way to put a wedge on the front of the car. Note, this never happens. Uh, that will <laughs> Yes, you're right. <laughs> they talk about that a lot. They're going to put a wedge on the hood that's going to turn the car into a, quote, a reverse plane wing. <laughs> I forgot about the reverse plane wing. They do say that. now. No, no actual modifications ever happen to any car that they race. Every single one of the cars just looks like a car. There's no weird experimentation going on. But there are several conversations about things that they're, they're going to do to the car. And then there, there are montages of them working on the car. But then ultimately, the car looks the same as yeah, but, when they started the car has never changed it's uh, it's it's really fascinating yeah. there's even a line where i think they hit 160 in the car and then kelly says do i know my ground effects or what i'm like number one i i don't know that the car <laughs> like ground effects are just like the the ability of the body kit to induce d- downward pressure through aerodynamics and i don't know that that's totally what they're talking about. The wedge never happens. Right. Uh, however, they, to get Nas installed on this vehicle, they go to one Domingo Juarez, a uh, famed, terrifying drug dealer, uh, who is also Casey's primary competition. Yes. Uh, he, 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 he has modded this type of car in the past with a Nas system, but boy, did it not turn out well <laughs> for him. The story he tells I didn't react to this when we watched the movie the first time. However, when I was clicking through the movie again, I watched him tell this story four or five times because I can't get over it. Do you remember the story in detail? Because I, I want to recount it to you, but there are some parts that I missed the first time. I will not spoil it, but I do remember the end result. But please, this, this is an example of how meticulous this movie is and it's insane details (laughs) (laughs) because it is this, this movie is like a guy who's telling a lie but he thinks to tell a lie you have to add a lot of details yes like this this movie's logic is flawed but it is supported by itself a lot yeah, it it it's a guy who's like, yeah, man, I, I couldn't make it to your thing. Uh, President Biden and I went to <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, he got the sliders and I got a five-piece wing. And then uh, we both went to sleep at the Ramada Inn together. Like, it's still obviously a lie, but just injected with an insane amount of detail. So Domingo Juarez's story is this. He installed NOS on an mx5 once again that's a miata it's an rx7 the car you see is an rx7 but installed nas on it to try to get it to go 200 miles per hour the name of the movie uh he says that he got it up to 140 he thought he saw the speedometer reach 180 but the car was shaking so bad he couldn't be sure also the way he delivers this line is incredible because it's a medium close-up and he just reads deadpan this entire story without it cutting away for 80% of it until uh, oh, the very end. And he delivers each line exactly the same. Yeah. Every time when he does something for emphasis, he moves his head to the left and down a little bit, like he's like he's like uh giving a deposition or something. Yeah. Uh it's really good. But he says he hit 140, he thinks he saw the speedo hit 180. But the car was shaking too much. The front end lifted up. So imagine that. The front end of your car lifts up. Right? Right. Yeah. You can picture that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a like a plane might. Yeah. Next part of the story. The car goes ass over end. So translate your car with the end, with the front being slightly elevated to being upside down. With the back end of the car being higher than the front what? how did that how did that happen? the car flipped over it, it, it did a complete a complete flip yes it did a complete flip in the air yes he he goes through a second story window <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wait <laughs> so the car went up 20 to 30 feet <laughs> upside down flipping through the air right right yes. His four-point harness doesn't break, just comes apart. Just comes clean apart. Just comes clean apart. He goes through the windshield. Yeah. Lands. In an office. In in his words, what he says is he lands in a pile of shit. (laughs) He doesn't say it like, I land in a pile of shit, like I land in a pile of objects. He says factually... I landed in a pile of shit. <laughs> and he like broke all of his bones. His car, the front lifts up, it flips over, he flies 30 feet into the air, and the chain of events is goes into a building. Yes. His four-point harness comes apart, he is ejected somewhere in that building into a pile of shit. You know, at the shit store. Yeah, at the, at like the, the, the second ship store. story, the second story of the ship store. Now it's crazy because there is a moment where you know, unquestioned. You know, un- we we don't question Rick's incredulousness, but he's like, "So how did you survive?" And the guy's like, "Well, thankfully my seatbelt broke. <laughs> yes, thankfully my four point harness just you know shattered and I was jettisoned from the car." It's like, wait, no, he would he would be cut up from, like, going through the (laughs) windshields. I mean, he wouldn't survive that. Once again, this is a great example of Thunder Levin putting his own personal brand of politics into the film. He thinks you should be able to be nude (laughs) without serving alcohol or whatever. And he is also very against seatbelts. Yes, very anti seatbelt um but <laughs> how so, did you survive thank god i got launched through a windshield into a <laughs> pile of shit and broke all the bones in my body i'm walking <laughs> god my thank god my seatbelt failed and, and did they give the character a limp or like any sort of physical sort of malady or scar and reminiscence of this this just god awful experiment gone wrong no of course not why would they do that he's the toughest gang and, gang leader in town yeah, no, he's just hanging out. Uh yeah. So that is I think the principal NOS crime, the final hanger on NOS crime is the uh, NOS switch and the RX7 is just the windshield wiper switch. <laughs> You're right, right. Yep. You yeah. turn that. It's like you can great. read on the side it has like intermittent and has like the thing where you can shoot cleaner on your windshield. It's great. Very much so. Uh, so yeah, if cars if light cars go too fast, they'll fly. Uh huh. Uh, the first first the hood goes up, you know, the front end of the car goes up, then the back ass side over of the, end. And you go ass over end, and you're just whirling through the through the sky up yeah. to the second stories of some buildings. It, it's, Listen, it's so <laughs> it it's, the stakes are high. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm just looking something up real quick about the RX-7. Please do. Let's see. Okay, the RX-7 is rear rear wheel drive, so the power coming off of those rear wheels when your front end is a is enough to flip this car that weighs at least a ton yeah. multiple times through a second story wind wind window, not windshield window. And then fling you into a pile of shit. Nos is not to be messed with. Nos is very, very dangerous. And yet they install Nos on the RX-7 anyway. They they get a they get an air pressure gauge that says mph on it to read one sixty. Yep. Yeah. That, that was a fun moment. It just uh, where, where it jumps from like one sixty to one eighty, but like all at once. <laughs> yes. I I I really like to imagine the background. They're like, "Hey man, we really don't want to pay someone to do the CGI of the needle moving up to 180." So you can take, can you take this air pressure gauge, bust the glass out of it, get out the label maker, put mph on there, uh, charge the air compressor to 180 psi, and then get this shot. Yeah, I mean, look. I, I don't blame them for that because there's a lot of extensive CGI in this movie, and they needed every minute they they could to get it just exactly right. Oh yeah, it's, it's clear where they where they spent their budget. I love the sliding scale of CGI quality in this movie. To be honest with you, because there's on the low end the the RX7 being hit by that semi truck because they're really betting that we're not going to be looking at the RX7 for long cuz it looks like it's something that's out of like Disney's Toontown from like the the early oh, 2000s yeah. it looks like a straight up cartoon yeah it looks like a straight up cartoon and gets hit by that semi truck however they spent a lot of money on that stunt helicopter that like goes under that overpass <laughs> yeah a lot of money on the helicopter i, I kind of i kind of want to relive a little bit just how we learned cgi was in this movie in the first place oh uh so yes uh this this moment it's literally the greatest moment of the film uh so you see casey the drug dealer challenges tommy yes you're right you're right rick's brother for you know car for car racing for pinks Mm -hmm. uh because if if tom if tom wins they can sell Casey's car and pay for Rick's tuition, and Rick is the first one to go to college. Yeah, Tommy likes that. Mom are, likes that. This is all solid stake building. The, you know, we're, we're in the the realm of reality to a degree. I don't think any car, one car, can really pay for all of a tuition, but hey, it's two thousand eleven. Uh, prices aren't quite as high as they they are now, so so maybe maybe if like a like a associate school. I mean, to be fair, they, they are very cagey about which college he got accepted into. It might be a technical college. Right, right. I mean, they just say cars. he got accepted to college multiple times. Yeah, they do. Uh, so, you know, some really solid grounded stakes. And then it, we see some racing and, uh, you know, they, they're just drifting around the same warehouse multiple times at night. The only night shots in the film, by the way. Yeah, everything else had to be done at like one p.m. Every th- this film takes place at one p.m. over the course of four days. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Going to a strip club at one p.m. and it's yep. packed. Meaning, meaning Rick's mom works the day shift at yes at the Candy Cat One, which I don't know if you guys know anything about strip clubs. You don't go during the day. Yes, it's, it's not the money maker. What a, it's it's ghastly. All right, so they're racing and. Uh, it is not com- clearly communicated to the viewer very well. Uh, but apparently Tom takes a turn too quickly and flips his car and it rolls. Uh, but what we see is an artist rendition of a rolling car rendered in like GameCube. Yes. <laughs> GameCube level. A real, real true crime streets of LA level car <laughs> modeling. Just And it just rolls 50 times mm-hmm. before crashing. And that's how we learn that this movie is untouchable when it comes to CGI. Yes, we also learn uh, something that happens multiple times in this movie, which is the power of a teleporting crowd. Oh, uh, so I've thought about this very extensively, John. Uh, I don't think that's a goof or a gaff or what have you. I think this is a world where everyone has super speed, but for fun, they race cars. Oh, it's like how when we invented cars, we only rode horses for entertainment. Right. They have super speed, so they only drive cars for... I mean, you never see anyone driving to the Candy Cat one. They just show up there. They're always arriving because they have just finished running really quickly. I think we're using the same logic... Ex- I think you're so right, yeah. because Claudia runs from Casey out of the Candy Cat 1 and is at the dock in the next scene. Well, she's, she rides a motorcycle. I hate oh, that. you're right, you're right. Yeah. Yes, yes. But, but she runs with that, that motorcycle Claudia, crash to the dock really quickly. Yes, yes absolutely. So I think this is the same logic that is used to explain why Sonic the Hedgehog sometimes races cars with his friends. Yeah, exactly. Same logic. Because yeah. you were right, it happens at least three times. People who were watching a race are there for a crash way too quickly, and I think it's because they're running right behind the cars. They want to watch the race. <laughs> yes, for sure. They're <laughs> they're right out of frame, just running after the cars in a in a massive group. I do want. I, I have a minor. Complaint with uh, the movie as a whole, based on the the inciting incident, which is Tommy dying, and that is the entire movie. It is presupposed that Casey killed Tommy. All the information that we have is that Tommy took a corner too hard and then flipped and then died. Right, exactly. Casey didn't do that. It, it was it was, in all honesty. Uh, it was an unfortunate accident, which is why, I mean, when Casey shows up at the funeral and he's like, look, man, I'm kind of sorry about that. But at the same time, like, fuck you. I, <laughs> he, he's not in the wrong until he tries to kill Rick and Claudia in the car. Yeah, up until about halfway through the funeral, like Casey's a good dude. Like he showed up to the funeral; he seems genuinely sorry. And then he's like, "And now I want your car." Uh, and then he decides to like try to kill everybody and get really creepy with Claudia. I mean, Casey's not a good dude, no. But like up until that funeral scene, you're like, none of this is totally Casey's fault. And like him showing up at the funeral, you th- you think he's really just there to apologize? But everyone is just. They just attack him at first (laughs) sight. Uh, Rick's mom gives an incredible drunk performance. Maybe she was drunk in real life. I don't know. But she's just uh, really flying off the handle at this guy. Understandably, I suppose, if you thought he killed your son. Uh, Which uh, her emotional arc through processing her son's death is really interesting. Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't know how most people process grief, you know. Everyone does it differently. Uh, but if I was a middle-aged, exotic dancer who lost her eldest son in a freak road road accident, I don't know if I would want to just dance. Yeah, I don't know if you would want to get your mind off of it by just dancing. I think Lou, the owner, is kind of in the right where he's like, take time off, please. Right, No. I, it, it's You're as, bumming me out that this is what's happening. It's as though Thunder Levin equates exotic dancing with, like, going to the club and dancing. He, like, he had heard so many women in his life just say, like, I just need to dance. And he's like, well, yeah, she's an exotic dancer. Maybe she processes <laughs> her motions by dancing. But exotic dancing or stripping isn't the same as, like, going to the club and losing yourself in the music. I I love to imagine that Thunder 11 is like, women become dancers because they love to dance. That's it, you know? You can't stop women from dancing. It's their natural pastime. They love to be exotic dancers. Which, not to say that people can't enjoy being exotic dancers, but like, it's a job. Right. It's a a physically demanding job with a lot of creeps. I can't imagine you'd do that to unwind. I can't imagine anyone in a client-facing position going through a, a mourning period being like, "Yes, put me in front of clients." You know, regardless of the context. "Listen, I know I just lost my son, but I got to work the cash register at Home Depot." It's just really going to take my mind off it. Look, I just got to get my mind off things. I just I need to try to sell used cars to people. Yeah, it's just it's just not how it works. No. Uh so yeah, her her emotional arc is, is definitely really interesting. Uh I don't know, man. Well, I think I think we're doing what we always do with movies that we very much enjoyed. We're just nitpicking at it. Yeah, we're we're just pulling so it apart like a I rotisserie think, chicken. I think it's time to highlight some things that we really liked about this movie. Um I, for one, really enjoyed the movie's inclination to say every important thing at least twice per scene, one right after the other. That way, when my brain is dying a little bit and I like wide out for just a second, I haven't missed anything because they're about to repeat what they just said again. Yeah, everything in the movie is repeated about everything about the movie is repeated about every 30 seconds or so. Every, yeah, every argument people have in a scene, I don't know where this guy, like, Thunder Levin learned how to write arguments, but an argument is not one person states their position, one person says, no, don't do that. The first person restates their position again with adding no new information, just saying it more emphatically, and then second person kind of like shrugging and walking away. Yeah, it's uh, listen. That's just how arguments happen in real life. That's verisimilitude, baby. I, I yeah, you know, every argument ends with the person who disagrees kind of like exasperated and walking off screen because they're just not getting through to them. I gotta say, my favorite one of my favorite things about this movie. There's a lot. One of my favorite things is its unabashed need to violate your expectations. I think that's necessary for any piece of like truly important or transgressive art because this is a movie called 200 Miles Per Hour. Right. Yes. that and is it features a lot of cars. It's on the 10. There's a lot of shots of speedometers going really fast. Yeah, and you you would think With cars, where they frequently talk about their top speed, top speed this, top speed that. And it is repeated, no shit, 30 times during this movie that your top speed doesn't matter. You'll never reach that speed on these streets. You'll never reach that speed on these streets, so it's fine. You don't have to be as fast as Casey. You just gotta outdrive him. Exactly. So you would think... With a movie that's constantly like, ah, the car will lift up. There's no way you're going to reach X miles per hour on the street, and we need to go beyond 160, beyond 180. That you have to assume what's ultimately going to happen in the final race is they do reach 200 miles per hour on these streets. The car does not lift off. All expectations shattered. And then the, the main character, Rick, walks away the hero. And in fact, no... 200 miles per hour is never reached never by reached. any vehicle under no. any circumstances it's, or even talked about. It is never reached. It's not ever really a goal. Uh, they mentioned 180 a few times, uh, but they, they, they never really, I think the, I think 200 miles per hour said exactly one time in the movie and it's like in a throwaway line. Yeah, exactly. I think it has said once. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, It's the same scene where they're talking about like put a NOS in where Kelly, the mechanic, you know, just finished rattling off a bunch of pros about the car. And he's like, yeah, but is it going to be enough? And she said, you know, she says for the first time, well, it doesn't matter because you'll never reach those speeds. And on, on these streets, you don't have like that whole spiel. And then I swear, he's just like, yeah, but I kind of want to put Nost in. And she says, well, it doesn't matter. because he'll <laughs> yes. <never."> like, yes. <laughs> like in a true, you know, what about male models moment? It's like they have the same, <laughs> the same lines twice. Yes. But like they hit them differently. It's like they did two takes back to back seamlessly. And they're like, well, both are good. Let's put both in the movie. <laughs> That's how movies are made, baby. But what ha- what's, what ends up happening is you're watching this movie with your co-host and good friend John, and your co-host and good friend John starts yelling at the movie, <laughs> I know! I know! We'll never reach those feeds on these streets! I know that! That is tattooed on my brain! <laughs> I gotta say, I, I had had one gin and tonic, and I was pretty pressed about that one line getting repeated a thousand times. I just, I wonder. I just, I I wonder, how did they know that they were going to be fast enough? (laughs) (laughs) How did they know they were going to be fast enough? I I also appreciate this movie. If we're talking about things we like, uh, so I've been watching a lot of Peter Bogdanovich movies lately. He, of course, uh, directed a lot of love letters to old Hollywood. This movie has a a very uh, heartfelt Mm -hmm. love letter to your kind of. Classic television slapstick, a la Benny Hill, in that Casey chases Claudia around like it's an episode of fucking Scooby Doo for no shit fifteen minutes of a yeah. ninety-minute movie. And <laughs> I want to, I want to let everyone know that this happens across maybe four different locations, and the same thing happens in every single one. In that he sees her, she hides. He sees her while she's hiding. She kicks him. This happens four times. And one of the more problematic sequences of this film... Uh, truly case, uncomfortable to watch. Truly unpleasant. And, and, what, and what is ostensibly just a, a action thriller car racing movie, there is a terrifying and implication chase scene between a girl who just survived a motorcycle crash with no injuries thank god and a crazy drug dealer who thinks he runs this town and like John says it goes on way too long and you really don't know if she's going to get away and it's it, it's not played for laughs it's played for tension and it's it's kind of like well what the fuck are we watching here <laughs> is this is this going to lead to some scenes we going to have some words about or like what is something truly capital P problematic going to happen in this movie cuz it's the movie doesn't hold your hand through it 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 just because the movie's not capable of doing anything to reassure the viewer of anything so you're just left on this limbo and you're watching this this girl do like actual self defense techniques like striking with the palm of her hand to the nose like actual debilitating things and it's just bouncing off this guy like it's nothing. And it's like, well, that's also a weird message to be sending through your movie. Yes. Uh, once again, Thunder 11, Blue self-defense defe- uh, techniques do not work. The only thing that'll work is a gun. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you can't use a gun. <laughs> you can't shoot somebody. You can't. Look, just think about it think about I, I this I feel John. Like, I feel like this you can't I feel like this him. needs a specific I feel like we specifically need to talk about this. All right in the in the final race sequence finally this is going to be it the big race between Rick and Casey loser never races again uh, winner gets both cars cool and and Rick by the way now has his brother's trashed 370z which when it's in cg is a 350z but he has the 370z they've uh fixed up and stolen from a junkyard so this is it the the skyline gtr that's not a skyline and the 370z back at it again kind of a recreation of the first race yeah we're come full circle it's his brother's car They've souped it up. You can't tell they worked on it at all. It looks like the same car from the first race, but now it's the second race. And so <laughs> this is it, crime de la creme, this is the climax. This is what we've been waiting for. There's five minutes left in the movie. They gotta wrap this shit up quick. This is gonna be a hell of a race. And what what happens? What happens, uh, John? They they kind of race. They uh they race they're, they're... for a bit. They race for a little bit. There's a little bit of CGI. There's some police. Uh, the police start chasing them, too. So one thing that we did think going in... Also, uh porn cop made a bet for the for Rick to lose. That's important. Uh, we were betting in this final race that they were... N- going to race around the same factory mattress slash office building or whatever they had raced around before they avoid doing that for some time, but you know, they got to come back to that office building eventually. Yeah. I, yeah. And then at the heat of all the action, we got cops chasing racers and racers just racing unceremoniously. Just a cut, just to, just while they're taking a, a turn, a cut. Just a cut. Uh, Casey takes a turn too fast and uh-huh. rolls his car, and quite possibly the very same way that Tom did. Here's the thing, though: he doesn't even roll his car. Oh, he just he crashes. crashes, skids, and crashes because. They need to show Rick pulling Casey out of the car, and they can't do that if they have to give it damage from it being rolled in right. CGI, so, so they just have it crash, a.k.a. park it near a lamppost. So, unceremoniously in this final race, this climactic finish, Casey crashes his car, and the race is over. Yes. Yes. Rick, of course, being a good guy, runs over and says, Casey, Casey, and pulls him out of the car. Which This is the crazy part. Rick is such a good guy that the man who tried to kill him and his girlfriend and who was not responsible for his brother's death, but he thinks he was, he runs to his side to see if he's okay. Listen, Rick is a real Sean Boswell, a stand-up guy no matter what no mad i don't think sean boswell was a stand-up guy no, no actually what. he's not he's, he's not really a stand-up he guy, was like actually. a straight-up criminal in tokyo Drift. <laughs> yeah he's not great anyway stand-up guy rick merchant yeah uh to i mean it, that's just to set the scene for the cops showing up being mad at rick for quote ruining the bet you lost me so <laughs> much fucking money <laughs> Which, like, you ruined it by showing up and by being a cop up. in the middle of the race. Right. It just, hmm, very fun things. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, Rick's like, we got to call an ambulance. And the cop pulls his gun. He's like, oh, what, this guy? I'll take care of this. Yeah, he, he pulls the gun out of his khakis that his Fruit of the Loom shirt are tucked into. Classic cop wear. And then Rick says, think about this. You can't shoot him. They'll know it was a gun. Top ten lines in movie history, right there. That's cinema. That's cinema right there. Of course you think, Rick's got him. Rick has nailed this guy to the wall. That's perfect logic. However, cop guy, whose name I don't remember, says, You're right. I can't. But you can. And puts this weird taped-up Derringer uh, in rick's hands implying that rick is the one to shoot him pulls a gun puts the gun to rick's head seemingly about to force rick to kill casey his greatest enemy which they'll know it was a gun so you can't do that but then what happens henry all of the racers who were just steps behind the car show up with their phones already out and yes. recording uh, and, and holding them up and, and they'd say, hey, officer man, do you like being on camera or, you know, that's not the line. I think line. They say Flynn. I think his name is Flynn. They're like, hey, Flynn, smile for the camera or whatever. Right. But she's dumber than that. And, uh, and, then, and then the day is saved. Yeah, the day is saved by the teleporting crowd. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Thunder Levin, a man of many mysteries. Supports the filming of cops <laughs> yes. to curb their their abuse of power. He hates seat belts. Honestly, I, I think I'm getting a pretty good picture. He hates seatbelts. He thinks people should be able to be naked even if you don't serve alcohol or whatever. Uh and he is also pro-police oversight. I think Thunder Eleven is a little bit of a libertarian. He's a pretty complex guy. When I you think really, that he's. I think that he's against the police state, and he thinks that you should be able to die in a car and see titties wherever. It is your right as an American to die in a car, get drunk and see titties at the same time, and then also film cops. Absolutely, I I think that is what Thunder Levin is trying to tell us. That's the real message we're learning here. I think. Uh, now, of course, uh, I believe Levin is Middle English for lightning. So his name is Thunder Lightning. Amazing. Um, great name. Really uh, cool. And, and then, of course, Rich and Claudia, who, by the way, Claudia was hor- horribly injured, lost her spleen, which we didn't even talk about. Lost her spleen. They didn't get a new spleen for her. Just a throwaway line. Her spleen was damaged, so we had to get rid of him. Like, oh, word, major blood filtering organ just, like, gone. I think they thought it was appendix but they got the wrong organ I don't know. I did look it up. You can live without a spleen but it like really puts a really puts a heavy tax on the liver and your your lifespan is is uh is they really should Yikes. have treated that with a, <laughs> with a little bit with a little bit more gravity than they did. But Claudia's fine. Uh, Her liver's pulling double duty. This was the same hospital where an exotic dancer offered a doctor lap dances for a year in order to see a patient, so... Yeah. I don't know how they do it down at Sepulveda Sepulveda General Hospital. Uh, But then, Rich, Claudia, go to college together if they say, let's race, you're on, but they're just racing lame little bicycles. They're just on bikes. They could go so much faster if they just ran. Yeah, but they ride bikes for fun, and... That uh, brings us to an end of 200 miles per hour. What a ride! What a 200 mile per hour ride! What a ride! I have one last bit of trivia that confirms a theory you you brought up. Oh. Originally in the script, there were three Asian characters: the cousins oh, Fong, yes. Lee, and James. During the casting process, it was ultimately decided that the cousins be consolidated into one character, Fong who was played by actor Zedric Rustaro. Much of the Cousins' lines were given to the Fong character and a few to the Albert character, played by Jared Kahn. Okay, so they did have to split up the 200-miles-per-hour (laughs) mamelia. Yes, they did. It was supposed to be three... Asian cousins, just like in Fast Five. <laughs> yep. Just like in Fast Five, it's a mechanic, a guy named Albert, and three Asian cousins. Yep. Uh, oh, man. I, this film... If you are one of those people who like watching movies for the wrong reasons, if you like watching bad movies because you like laughing at how bad they are, I I guess this film's for you. I don't know. I think this film's kind of on the line because I think that you have to have a a more than decent appreciation for the Fast and Furious movies and a pretty reasonable level of interest in car shit. And then if that's the case, this movie's definitely for you. The inaccuracies are funny. Now, I'm not a watch bad movies for my own personal enjoyment person. Uh, that does not extend to bad movies that are, like, genuinely outsider art, like Neil Breen's, like, Fateful Findings or whatever. Uh, however, this movie, it's it's just pretty bad. It's just pretty yeah. bad, and I don't know that i recommend it to people, but if you love Fast and Furious, you should watch this movie, which you already did if you're listening to this, so I don't know why we're recommending it to you. <laughs> I don't know. I... I was expecting more of a, a through line, a, more of a, a similarities to Fast Five. That's why I was excited to see what people could do with a smaller budget, but similar themes. Instead, we got a weird analog to Fast One if the instead of Point Break, it was like Romeo and Juliet or some shit. Yeah, you, you are not wrong. I... Like I said, I I think a lot of these movies are just, they they make the scripts they can, and it doesn't necessarily have to. And I think they're really skirting enough legal trouble with the font treatments when they put these movies out and and the titles. Apparently they made one of these for Morbius that's called Dr. Dracula, the original living vampire, which I got to check out. I mean, well, actually, honestly, with Morbius, the, uh, the mockbuster might be better than the film. It might be. They actually might say the the line. It's, it's more, Dr. Doctor Dracula time. time. So is it Dr. Dracula or is it Dr. Acula? Oh, the second one's more clever. I'm almost certain it's Dr. Dracula. Oh, no. Well, I mean, the first one was a Scrubs joke. Oh, well, they can't do that. The, no. the one guy, Zach Braff, loves to sue... And drink people's blood. I'm interested to watch more Asylum features. This movie had, like, just enough heart, like 1% heart, that that made it totally watchable. And we uh, watched about half of a movie that had box art that was supposed to make people confuse it for uh, Fate of the Furious. And uh, that took place on an airplane. Uh, So I'm interested to see where these movies can go. Yeah, we we watched uh, Fast and Fierce, which had nothing to do with car racing and had everything to do with trying to recreate a very specific parameter speed three with a plane. It had nothing to do with car racing and everything to do with getting people to take their seats who are for some reason standing up. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many people. Check out the first five minutes of Fast and Fierce. No, Fast and Fierce. Uh, and you will see a stewardess seating for 20 minutes, people. For five minutes straight, telling people to take their seats. And then, no shit, making an announcement about how people should take their seats. It's amazing. <laughs> so many people standing up in the middle of a flight, just hanging out, just chilling. It's, it's truly amazing stuff. Cannot recommend the first 20 minutes of Fast and Fierce Enough. Yes. Uh... I, I think I just – I want to – we so normally with these Fast-esque movies, we we we'd talk about – like we used to have a rating system and one of them was like Treatment of Women. Oh, yeah. And I, treatment of Women was uh, was one that appeared, I believe, around Tokyo Drift. And I just want to say, as problematic as the Fast and Furious series has been previously – Compared to 200 miles per hour, they are saints of feminism. Yes, in 200 miles per hour, the only job for women is a magical mechanic and stripper, and strippers badly outnumber magical mechanics. Yes, and strippers, they mess with other strippers for fun everyone is evil to each other for no reason all oh, the women are so mean also this movie like passes whatever the reverse bechdel test is when a woman never says anything that's not about a man yeah when, when honestly there was a perfect moment between two exotic dancers to you know they one was checking in on the other and just maybe two lines passed before before Claudia's like well, you know, your son was just here. It's no, like, straight up, the first line was, oh no. Rick was just here. This movie, like I said, passes whatever the, 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 reverse. Neg- the reverse Bechdel test is. Amazing. Where just every line is about a man. It's, it's truly amazing. Truly. And in terms of being problematic, I'm going to say this movie is like, you know, lowercase p problematic. It made me uncomfortable at points. I don't know, that whole chase scene between Claudia and Casey is just like, mmm. Yeah. No, let's give it a capital P. Capital, capital P problematic. P problematic. Cause it's not as though he was chasing her out of like animosity. He was chasing her because he wanted to buy her for the night. Yeah. Not uh not not cool. And also not cool on Lou to even entertain that. Like, Jesus, dude. I mean, listen, Lou's got problems. Everyone nope. in this movie has problems except Rick, who's a saint. <laughs> Besides Tommy, Rick. who's a corpse. <laughs> Rick, who is a block of wood with... Who has no effect on the story whatsoever. <laughs> who rolls out of his car and randomly screams at his friends, We got him on to turn this little sports car into the, into the... Beat the fastest production car I've ever fucking seen! You know how you talk to your friends. <laughs> you know you just roll out of the car and scream at the top of your fucking lungs. The weird part is they're all on board. They're not like Jesus Christ. dude. we get uh, your brother just died, but like we are on your side. You don't need to yell at us. I just like to imagine that's take two. Like the first <laughs> take, he comes out. He's de- he delivers it, and then Cole McKay is like a little bit more intensity. Like your brother just died. Okay, cool. Rolls up. We got a month. <laughs> all right we got it uh we didn't have enough film to film another take yeah uh, we so. ran out of space on the sd card because I, I got a lot of games on it. <laughs> i don't can't delete my games on my sd card i use it's from I my, use my the SD. switch yeah i use the sd card from my switch uh, so. we can't delete uh, Mario versus Rabbids at the Olympic Games or whatever so that's it i want to i want to think they filmed this movie in chronological order and uh, once they moved on from the character tom not able to remove his jacket fully before walking <laughs> oh, off <no>. for <laughs> my favorite part of this movie absolutely without a doubt once that happened uh the, the director was just like look i didn't have enough film for that guy to take his jacket off i don't have enough film for you to do another take it's really perfect because he takes the jacket off comes off one arm fine he he can tell there's a problem he's still like looking off at, he's still looking at his mark and they like gives the sleeve one hard tug but the button's still done so it won't come off so he just like continues to awkwardly hold the jacket and walk away yeah. Oh, that's so good. That sums up this movie perfectly. And we said it right at the end so that you had to listen to the whole thing. Yes. And also you saw the movie. So you saw that. But we're glad you stuck around with us to talk about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, so this is, it's not, it's not, it's not entering the canon of the lists. It's not, it, there's no way. Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> So it's it's, there's no ranking here. It's not a fast and furious film. However, of films that are mockbusters of Fast and Furious in the canon that we've watched, it's unfortunately gonna take number one. Right, yes. It is the number one mockbuster of Fast and (laughs) Failure. You 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 can take that again if you want. To. We don't have the film. You're right. If there's not enough film to get that guy's jacket off, yes. Unfortunately, it is the number one <laughs> mockbuster of the Fast and Failure franchise. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It is uh, etched into canon from here until eternity. And I, I guess with that, it's time to open up the lines to hear thoughts from our friends and, and dear listeners, uh, our fans. Uh, so I guess I guess that's where we are, right? Yeah, that's where we are. So if you want to send in your thoughts on the film 200 miles per hour or a different Mockbuster uh, riffing on the Fast and Furious franchise, the you, if you will... Uh, please drop a line at one of our various social media channels, uh, including twitter.com, where you can reach us by tweeting at ZCPCWHJ. And I believe John knows what that stands for. Yes, that stands for um, the Nissan 350 ZCPCWHJ. Unfortunately, that Nissan has been stolen. So instead, we have the Skyline ZCPCWHJ instead. Uh, you can also send us an essay via email about your thoughts and opinions of 200 miles per hour or other mockbusters. Just send, drop a line to the email, email at zerocredits.net, dot net, and we will read it and respond, and we'll start a whole dialogue. Maybe you can change our minds. Maybe 200 miles per hour is the best film that we've ever covered. We don't know yet. We haven't read your essay. Uh, we're available on a bunch of different podcasting apps. However you listen to our podcast, please leave a rating and review on that app or service. It would help us out a great deal. And thank you for listening through those apps. Those apps are great. We love them. Please sit down. We're about to land the plane. Please sit down. We're about to land the plane. Please tell a friend about our podcast uh, or an enemy or just someone. Telling people about the podcast is the best way for us to grow the podcast, because if we have more listeners and fans, we can grow this community to the biggest land possible, the zero-credits nation, if you will. Right now, we're just a little, little town. we got to grow to be a nation. So if you would please sit down, we're about to land, tell a friend about the podcast, word of the mouth, and sitting down with a plan plane is landing is the only way we can survive so please sit down we're about to land the plane so henry i don't know if you're familiar with the fact that youtube just rolled out a most replayed function when you're clicking through a youtube video Uh, so they they show you a graph that increases for for parts that people have replayed a lot Uh, and i was clicking through 200 miles per hour trying to see the most replayed things because i assumed they'd be like funny moments. No, it's just all the times that women were stripping. Uh, so that oh, is the audience that no. is that is the audience that is going to watch 200 mph on YouTube. And from everyone here at the repeatedly clicking into the same see parts, anything, it's on YouTube. And from everyone here <laughs> from the zero credits uh two uh, too distracted by stripping women to enjoy 200 miles per hour on YouTube studios. Man, it's so awkward it's sad. It's sad more than anything. They don't look happy. Uh, we would like to wish you a happy week. Goodbye.